Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. Hey, Legacy Pastor Josh here. So sorry I'm not there with you today. I'm actually down in San Clemente preaching at Calvary Chapel, South Orange County for Pastor John Randall. Our special guest speaker today is one of my best friends. Uh, he has been at Legacy from the very beginning, him and his wife, and we are so very blessed by them. He's part of our leadership here at the church, one of our deacons, and uh, he serves over our young adults ministry. And so let's give a warm Legacy welcome to Ricky Gonzalez. Yes, Ricky. Thank you everyone for that warm welcome and good morning to you all. Like always, I'm nervous, but when it comes to the things of the Lord, it's okay to have nerves. I was telling uh, my wife and some of the guys early this morning, earlier this morning, um, that this this study, this passage that, I, that I've studied was one of the heaviest studies I've ever done in my life personally. Um, but the beautiful thing that came from enduring that, that truth and those heavy truths that cause us to examine ourselves is the result is always a, a greater and a deeper relationship with the Lord our God. And so we'll be in Mark chapter 11 this morning, and we're going to go through verses 1 through 11. But before we get started, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you, and we give you our minds, we give you our hearts, and we give you our spirit. And we ask, Lord, that you would meet us where we are at that you would minister to us, mold us, and empower us, Lord, to love you, serve you, and live like you. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. The title of my message today is Make Way for the King. Make way, make room, make an effort for the king. Because it's Passover week, we'll be going over Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. First off, what is Passover? True touched on it. Thank you, True, for setting that up. Passover is a Jewish festival celebrating the exodus or deliverance of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And it is one of the first festivals commanded by God to be observed by the people. The book of Exodus teaches us the origin of Passover and God's promise to redeem his people from bondage and death. We learn that God sent Moses to Egypt to command Pharaoh to let his people go. When Pharaoh refused, God brought 10 plagues on the land of Egypt, the 10th being the worst, death of all the firstborn sons. So on the night of the 10th plague, because Pharaoh took it there in his pride and arrogance, 
God told the Israelites to sacrifice a spotless lamb and mark their doorposts with its blood. When the Lord passed through the nation that night, he saw to it that death would pass over the households that honored his command and marked their doorposts with the blood of the lamb. That death would pass over those who made way for their king. From that night on, God instructed the Israelites to observe Passover as a reminder for what he has done for them. So why do we as Christians honor and celebrate Passover? Because we are celebrating and honoring that through faith in Christ, the Lamb of God, we have passed over from death to everlasting life. For Christ, our Passover lamb was sacrificed for us. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7 tells us. Isaiah 25 verse 8 says, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach or disproval of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56 and 57 say, The sting of death is sin, which is exposed by the law of God. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The sting of death being sin associates that, or, excuse me, the sting of death is sin. The sting of death is associated with pain and suffering and is not just a pain and suffering that can last a lifetime. It's a pain and suffering that can last an eternity. This is the reality of hell. Hell is a place of pain and suffering. Death was never a part of God's plan. Did you know that? Never. There is nothing pleasing about death except knowing that it only means the one who believes in Christ has moved on to the glory of God and is in a better place. And I say that because I watched one of my best friends actually pass away, my father-in-law. And he was a believer. But I remember being with him that day and seeing in his eyes as his body betrayed him and was shutting down pain and fear. And praise be to God, I had the opportunity to tell him, don't be scared, Carrie. Jesus is with you. Let him take you. And he literally passed away after that. On the contrary to death and pain, life is associated with peace and joy. And it's an everlasting peace and joy that is offered through the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is the reality of heaven. It's easier for people to believe in the reality of heaven while rejecting the reality of hell because everyone wants a good afterlife, but no one wants to be punished for an eternity. 
The fact of the matter is, both exist. You hear it all the time. You read it all the time in the comments. Someone passes away. Oh, you're in paradise. Oh, they're in heaven. Rest in peace. Nobody ever wants to acknowledge the other possibility. But there is the other possibility. The Bible speaks of the realities of heaven and hell in the book of Revelation. If you want to know more, study the book of Revelation. Jesus himself spent more time warning people about the dangers of hell than he did the comforts of heaven, most likely to scare the hell out of us. Hell is what it is because it's absent of God, his loving kindness, righteousness, and holy character. Psalm 89, 14 says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before him. The truth is that hell was intended only for Satan and his minions, Jesus tells us. However, it is still reality we are at risk of facing if we do not turn away from sin and reject the opportunity to be saved. God wants us to face the reality of sin and their effects and the result of sin without repentance because he does not want us to end up in hell. But it's important to know God will not compromise his holy and righteous character for anyone. Is that heavy or what? For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the city of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority, Peter tells us. That's 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 10. Peter recounts these past events of judgment with the intention of keeping people from thinking that God is too loving and merciful to judge their wicked deeds. He will not overlook these things, but he has made a way for us to be cleansed, forgiven, and justified of these things. Furthermore, if God did not spare his righteous and holy son in order for us to be saved, what reason does he have in order to spare us who have sinned against him? God didn't spare his son because there was no other son to spare. Christ is the only one through whom we are saved. 
Because God is righteous and holy, he will have nothing to do with sin and wickedness. So he has given us through Christ the way to be forgiven, the way to be justified, and the way to be sanctified, set apart with him, for him. That is why we are to be careful to do what the Lord our God has commanded us by not turning aside to the right or to the left. Deuteronomy 5 verse 23 tells us. For you, God, are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. Psalm chapter 5 verse 4 says. And God is not harsh. Ezekiel 33, 11 tells us that the Lord takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that he would rather the wicked change their ways and go from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. This is restoration. Through Christ, life is being restored to what God planned it to be initially. Initially, from the beginning, in the Garden of Eden. But then sin came in, and it broke that. That's why death hurts so much. It is a cosmic breaking. It breaks the world. And we think it's normal. We think that death is this natural thing, but the reality is it's unnatural. It was never part of God's plan. That's why it hurts so much. But God has made a way to restore that for us so that we don't have to fear death, so that our pain will come to an end and be no more. That is why we as Christians celebrate and honor Passover. Because Christ has and will continually do for all who believe in him as Lord and Savior what God did for the Israelites years ago. He will cover us in his blood so that we may have life with him forever. Praise God. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 9 says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, and that's the light of understanding, if we walk in the understanding of who Christ is and what he has done and what he is calling us to, we have fellowship with him. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the victory for those whose king is Jesus. 
that we are not only saved from a life of sin that leads to destruction, but that with him, we can live a life free of sin from this point on. The reason I titled this sermon, Make Way for the King, is because we will either make way for the Lord to go before us and lead us in the way everlasting, or we will continue to struggle trying to figure it out on our own and keep falsely assuming we will get what we want in the end. The choice is ours. You know what the life everlasting is? It's a life with the Lord that starts right now and goes on into eternity. That's why King David says in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous or wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. David wasn't taking any chances when it came to the well-being of his soul. He made way for the king. He put the Lord before him in order to know the way to go and keep away from sin. And because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 tells us. Christ doesn't just simply save us from our sins, past tense. He saves us from our sinful attitude and our sinful behaviors that cause us to fall back into sin or lead us into deeper sin. This is the process of sanctification. To be set apart from sin in the world more and more in order to truly know Christ and his love and his grace and his peace in our lives. His peace. The peace of knowing that you are saved and that you don't have to earn your salvation. And the peace of knowing that you're no longer the enemy of God but a friend of God. Christ, let this peace rule in your heart. The Bible says, the peace of Christ. Those who live in sin wake up with the mind, heart, and soul of regret. But those who are being sanctified wake up with a new life expectation from God daily and are satisfied. Blessed is he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is Christ's purpose when riding into Jerusalem. To bring the people to salvation and lead them in the way of life everlasting, apart from the world. And that remains his purpose for all people to this day. Let's look at our text. In Mark chapter 11, verse 1 through 11, it says, And as they approached Jerusalem... At Bethpage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. 
And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say, mind your business. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it back here. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing untying that colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them. And they gave them permission. And they brought the colt to Jesus and put their garments on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their garments in the road and others spread leafy branches, having cut them from the fields. And those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming king of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve since it was already late. This passage is known as Jesus' triumphal entry. For the reason it was a week before he would be crucified, and it reveals that he did not fear the coming sufferings that would lead to his death, but continued in the ministry of God. Wow. Christ wasn't worried about death because he was too busy living in the victory of God. In John 13, verse 31 and 32, he says, now, right now, speaking present tense, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Are we making way for the king in the right now of our lives? No matter the situation or circumstance, whether the times be enjoyable or challenging, or are we just keeping him around just in case things don't work out for us? If we believe God is for us, then he should be set before us in all things. He shouldn't be a secondary option in our life choices, situations, and circumstances. He should be the only option. If we truly believe that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, then let's not let anything come between us and Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 8. This passage is known as Jesus' triumphal entry because it further reveals that he was not afraid of the power and evil intentions of his enemies in the city of Jerusalem. Christ did not sneak or cower his way into the city or shy away from his ministry because he was fully confident in the will of God for his life. We love to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me when we're pursuing our plans and things are going well. But when it comes to God's plan or things are challenging, why have we let go of that truth? 
Who has greater influence in our lives right now? Is it Christ or the city? Christ would strengthen and encourage us by reminding us that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. To go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded us and to remember that he is with us always to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. If we will make way for the king, the king will make a way for us. The apostle Paul, by his confidence in Christ, would say, and now, behold, I'm going to Los Angeles. I'm going to Jerusalem, driven by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In other words, Paul is like, I don't care. The Lord's warning me. People are going to hate me. Things are going to get tough. But I'm focused on living for the Lord and doing what he has asked me to do, what he has called me to do. What is the Lord calling you to do? How has he been ministering to you through his word? Do it. And see what happens. What's the worst? That you're going to come out with a stronger relationship? A stronger faith in God? The confidence Paul has. Excuse me. The confidence Paul has in Christ is the same confidence Jesus displayed when he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. That is the focus of Mark's gospel, to put on display the obedient actions, service, and sacrifice of Christ, to reveal that Christ is who he says he is and does what he says he will do, that Christ didn't just say he loved us, he proved it. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, This passage is known as Jesus' triumphal entry because it ultimately reveals that Jesus is the Messiah that Zechariah and Daniel prophesied about. In Zechariah chapter 9 and Daniel chapter 9, which speaks of how he will enter in as Messiah, Lord and Savior, and the work of his crucifixion. All that Christ accomplished in and through his life was done according to the word of God.
And that brings me to my first point. Make way for the word of the king. Look at verses 1 through 3. And as they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it back here. Why a donkey on which no one has sat? I thought. So I look to the word to find out. It was to honor the law of purification in Numbers chapter 19, which required a young and pure animal to be, excuse me, to be sacrificed in order to atone for the people's uncleanness. In Zechariah 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus gives word to the disciples to do what is needed in order to honor and fulfill what the scriptures say. Do you see that? The Lord saying, go, do this, not just because he's saying it, but because he's using them as well, bringing them in to fulfill this word given in Zechariah 9. To honor the law of purification. Because the Israelites came into contact with their dead while wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. You remember that? Do you all remember that? They developed diseases of all sorts. So instead of judging them right away, the Lord gracefully provided the people with the way to be cleansed. Well, I I haven't come into any dead bodies lately, we might say. I thought to myself, I haven't been in touch with any dead bodies, actually. I'm good. Actually, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are dead in our sins. And if we are dead in our sins, then we have been in contact with a dead body. And we do need to be cleansed. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loves us, even when we were dead in our sins made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. It is Christ who cleanses us. He takes on and removes the sins and sinful nature that leads us to death and destruction and brings us into new life and a new way of living. Jesus riding in on a donkey also shows humility. He doesn't have to, nor does he have any reason to do anything for our lives 
but he does. And he makes himself approachable to us. Christ doesn't act like a celebrity surrounded by bodyguards filtering who he will allow to come to him. He makes himself self available to all. People will fight crowds to get near their favorite celebrity. If Bieber was here right now, we'd all be struggling for the surrounding seats. People will go out of their way to impress their boss or make time to please their friends. But when the Lord calls near, we'll set them aside until we're ready or when we feel like it. This should not be. If Christ is our king, he should be set before us. The fact that Jesus came in riding on a donkey that no one has sat on shows he wasn't willing to honor and fulfill the word of God in part. He was willing to honor and fulfill it completely in every way. Morally, ceremonially, and spiritually. He believed it, obeyed it, and willingly lived it out. Christ went all the way to see that we would be saved. How far are we going to see him glorified in our lives? Look at verses four through six. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing untying that colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, make way for the word of the king. And they gave them permission. Notice the confidence and obedience the disciples have in the word of their king. When Christ gave them word of what to do, he knew their actions would be challenged. So he strengthened them with his word. And they went out and did what he asked without question. Instead of challenging him or bringing up questions of doubt, the disciples made way for the Lord in their lives according to his word. As expected, when they were confronted by others, they said what the Lord said. They told him what Jesus had said, and the people let them go. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8 says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. What is the Lord calling you to do? According to his word. Don't hesitate. That's the call into new life. Well, it's scary, I know. How do you think I feel up here? I don't know what's gonna happen, I know. Because I realize when the Lord calls us according to his word, it's not based off any of our experience. It's all based off his experience and he wants us to experience that life as he intended.
Instead of challenging him or bringing up questions of doubt, the disciples made way for the Lord in their lives according to his word. The disciples did what the Lord called them to do and said what he said. Their immediately going out showed their readiness and complete trust in Christ. I really liked what Pastor Mike from Calvary Chapel said a few weeks ago. Uh, I couldn't remember exactly. This is a loose paraphrase, but he said something to the degree of, for those who truly believe in God, whose Lord and Savior is Christ, there is no other word that should define us and direct our lives, only his. How far are we willing to go for our king when he calls on us? It must be all the way or we will miss out on his blessing of life. Because when the Lord calls us, he's calling us into a new life experience with him. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Who saved us and called us to live a holy life. Not because we deserve it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time. To show us his grace through Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 8 and 9 says. And that's my second point. Make way for King Jesus. Look at verses 7 and 8 in Mark. And they brought the colt to Jesus and put their garments on it and he sat on it. And many spread their garments in the road and others spread leafy branches, having cut them from the fields. The disciples didn't just make way for the Lord, word of the Lord in their lives. They went out of their way to honor him with their lives. Do you see that? Spreading their cloaks and throwing them on the road was an ancient practice of welcoming a new king. This is how the people were inaugurating Christ as their king. The spreading of palm branches symbolizes joy and salvation, which also gave a future impression of Christ's royal tribute. That he is not just king on earth, he is the king in heaven as well. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 through 12 says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? And if salvation belongs to Jesus, he has the right to give it to him, whomever he pleases. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. 
blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. When we get to heaven, this is what we will be doing. We'll be worshiping Christ with our lives fully to honor him for all that he has done. But we don't have to wait until then to do so. Christ has given us the liberty to live in such a way right now. Paul Washer says, we often don't feel, feel moved by God in worship because before we get to church, we're doing everything else. And when our hearts are ready to be moved, worship's over. Make way for the king. Is Christ our king or not? If he is, are we doing what he's called us to do? Is he calling us to do or change something in our life personally according to scripture? Is he calling us to share his word, essentially the gospel, with that coworker we always talk to or that person he's placed on our heart? Have we been leading by Christ's example among our family and friends, no matter what they may think or say? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, your life worship, because Jesus was and is the only acceptable sacrifice needed for complete atonement, the only offering accepted, acceptable to God by man is the worship offering, the first fruit offering, the offering of obedience that comes from faith in Christ. That's Romans 16. When our lives are dedicated to honoring God and all we do according to his word, we are living a lifestyle of worship. It showed in the lives of the disciples who their king was because they made known who their king is in both word and deed. And that brings me to my third point. Long live the king. Look at verses 9 through 11. And those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he, blessed is the coming king of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve since it was already late. The disciples were devoted to Christ from the moment of their calling and followed him as their king from that day on. While the people were shouting out these praises, they were doing nothing more than putting on a show of enthusiasm. Because it would be these same people who the next week would scream out, crucify him. for not getting what they wanted from him. Bless you.
These people wanted a political savior, not a personal savior. They wanted someone to come in and save them from their situations and circumstances, not save them eternally from hell and destruction. Shouting Hosanna, which means save now in Hebrew, they were using scripture for their own purpose and came to Christ with ulterior motives. I'll believe in God if it gets me this. I'll do that for you, Lord, if it promotes me to this. But we won't believe in him to gain what he has to offer. What he has, we don't even have. And we don't want that. Forgiveness of sins. A life of love and peace and joy. The essence of the gospel is not about what Christ can do for you. It's about what Christ did do for you. John Corson said this, we need to realize that Jesus Christ came to die for our sins and pay the price for our iniquity. If he never does anything else in this life presently, that is more than enough to merit our loyalty, our affection, and our devotion. If he never does another thing for me, if he never gives another blessing to me, I owe him my life because of what he did for me on Calvary, end quote. We need to be careful that we do not simplify the effort and work Christ put forward to benefit us for all eternity. Well, he was Jesus. He was the son of God. Of course he did that. Do not do that. Read Philippians 2. And learn about how he humbled himself to be less than us and took on the burden of the cross and carried the responsibility to live out the law, all six, over 600 of them, and didn't just believe it, but honored them ceremonially in his heart and lived them out willingly, completely fulfilled them. I don't know about you guys, but there's, um, there's nothing worse than when someone tries to simplify my life and something that's going on in my life. Like, oh, well, that just worked out for you. Excuse me? You don't know all the pain and suffering that I went through and endured to get here? You don't know that I all the things I had to sacrifice this wasn't even part of my plan. I wasn't even going to do it this way to end up right here. I saw it differently. That is one of the worst things we can do is simplify the lives of people. How much more if we simplify the life of Christ that way? We need to be careful not to do that. Sin doesn't just go unpunished. Simply because God loves us. We go unpunished for the reason Christ is willing to take our place. The moment we turn from sin and put our faith in him. Do you see that? Sin doesn't just evaporate. It has to be paid for. It has to be punished. 
Me and you just don't endure that punishment and that wrath because Christ stood in for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. You quoted that verse already. I know. Maybe the Lord's trying to tell us something. Every way that God calls us to live is the way Christ did live. So it's not impossible. And if it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us, then we can live victoriously on earth as it is in heaven, just like him. Look at verse 11. And Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke tells us every day Jesus went to the temple to teach. This is the one and only time Jesus didn't teach in the temple. Did you know that? He was done talking because he knew there would be no change in the hearts of the people. When he went into the temple, he examined it completely, it says, and didn't see worshipers. He saw swindlers. Hebrews 4 verse 13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. Christ saw people acting like they were believers, but really were wicked, using the things of God to deceive and rip people off instead of using what they learned from him personally. He was teaching there every day. And instead of using what they were learning from him personally, they let to, to lead others to salvation and build them up in the way of the Lord, they were ripping them off. They were using it for their own selfish purposes. This verse revealed to me as I was studying through this that Jesus is not easily impressed. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life, he knows what the life of a genuine believer looks like, and he knows when somebody's fronting, put it on a show. The things we learn about the Lord according to scripture are meant only to bring us closer to him and cause us to live a life that is honoring before him, not be used for our own selfish gain. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good according to the word. For in due season we will reap. If we do not give up, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6 through 10. We can deceive ourselves all we want, but we are not fooling God. 
If Christ is truly our king, we will put forth every effort to live a life that is pleasing to him alone, no matter what. Christ doesn't want to rule over us like some political tyrant, some false god. He calls on us to be saved because he wants us to rule with him. That's incredible. Because if we really take the time to think about that, what do we have to offer that would benefit him? He wants us to come in and rule with him. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. He is Lord and Savior. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. Matthew Henry said, Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. Let this be our principle. To do first which is most needful. And let him that is the first have the first. Every day, in every way, and in everything. That we may live righteously unto him. End quote. And so in closing, the term... Long live the king, referred to the heir who would immediately succeed to the throne when the previous king would die. But being that Christ would rise from the grave, he will remain king forever. If we must die to ourselves daily to keep Christ as our king, then long live the king. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, you are our king. And we put you before us right now, this very moment, Lord. By your grace, we are here today. You've allowed us to be here. And maybe we kind of just been dragging our feet. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for setting you aside. We put you at the forefront of our lives today, Lord. Your word says today is the day of salvation. And we put our trust in you, Lord. And ask that you would come in and save us and regenerate us. That we would love and live and serve you in the same way that you serve us. And that it would be made known who our king is who our God is to those around us and that we would seize those opportunities to honor and fulfill the life that you have called us to according to your word. Thank you, Lord, for all that you endured to see that we would be with you. We give you all the praise and honor and glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.